Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 15th highlight episode, Shelby Shadwell joins us again and talks about Annual Rehearsal Picture, which closed at Manifest Gallery in Cincinnati. The solo show was up all of February, and it included a variety of things, including a discussion, some workshops, and we talk about that and some of the developments that he has in the way. Of course, if you've never heard of Studio Break before, we are a podcast and blog that features a variety of contemporary artists coming on to talk about their work, their developments along the way. It's always very interesting, so please go ahead and check out studiobreak.com. We've got a variety of different interviews. Each interview features a slideshow of the work as well as a lengthy discussion about all of the steps along the way that it took to make it. And of course, if you'd like to see any of the other artists that you've missed, we've got a bunch Just go and look on the left, there's an archive feature, you can go month by month, and we've had tons of them, including the recent one with Kendra Pates of Illinois State University Galleries talking about the show, The House of the Seven Gables, really good stuff, really great show that runs through April, so be sure to check that out. Of course, if you're looking for more work to check out, you can check out mine at davidlinaway.com. There is a link right on the left side of the homepage, David Linaway. Go ahead and check that out if you want to see some of the paintings that I do. Of course, if you like the podcast, you can interact with us by liking our Studio Break Facebook page. Once again, you can see a preview of some of the guests that we have coming up, as well as some exhibition announcements, calls for entries, all that kind of thing. And I'm happy to report that Shelby will be coming back on the podcast next month or so to talk about a special edition on The Thing, which we've talked about a number of times, and since I've never seen it, I think it's a good time to discuss the movie in depth. And of course, I encourage all of you to go ahead and check out The Thing and maybe, if you'd like, you can tweet us some questions if you're that interested at Studio Break on Twitter or just say hello. Once again, we do now have a donate button too, so if you are feeling ever so generous, you can make a donation that helps us out in terms of the hosting costs or some of the domain costs, etc. All the wonderful things that go into this podcast. We'd really appreciate it. All right, enough of that. Here is my interview with Shelby. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I'm happy to be joined once again by Shelby Shadwell. How are you today? Uh, I'm great, David. Thank you. It's a, a real pleasure to be on here again. Yeah, and I was just saying, you know, we had you back on episode 16, which is quite a ways back, and I think we were just talking about some of these drawings that you have in this exhibition. Um, So obviously, if any of you are interested in uh, finding more about Shelby, perhaps a bit more about his childhood and early experiences, be sure to check out that episode 16. But let's move on and talk about this exhibition that you just had at Manifest. It was part of a realism show. You had a solo exhibition featuring some of the works that we talked about in that early interview. And they're very large, if I'm not mistaken. But could you go into a little bit about the ideas behind them and, you know, what it looked like and currently what's going on in your studio? Yes. Yeah. These are um, drawings I've done over the past, you know, year or or so, uh, maybe a little bit longer, but mostly over the last year. Um, and uh, large-scale charcoal drawings on paper, um, just charcoal on paper. That's basically it. Uh, mostly reductive methods to create the, the imagery. And uh, I've got in some of the trash bag drawings that we had talked about probably on the previous 
uh, on episode 16 um, that are there and, and some really large trash bag drawings. And then I have uh, drawings of uh, cockroaches, which I think I might have mentioned in that interview as well. That's where I was kind of moving. Um, really detailed, really intricate um, sort of fields of cockroach material um, and dead, dead cockroaches. Um, and uh, they look great, and they look great all together in the space, and they're, they're pretty overwhelming. Um, as far as, like, I guess content goes, um, my content continues to be really interested in um, – that intersection between uh, representation and abstraction. You know, you look at something like, a, you know, and it, and it looks exactly like it's supposed to look like, as the trash bags and the cockroaches do, but at the same time, they kind of break down into this Rorschach-ness where you kind of pick out faces and parts and you kind of come up with your own sort of abstract interpretation of them as well. So, um, and that really ties into the name of the show is, um, and the work is A, a Universal Picture. Um, and that comes from my, as we talked about in the last interview, tangential, slightly tang tangential interest in uh, horror films. Of course, Universal Studios being one of the one of the uh, milestones as far as a lot of the monsters uh, in film uh, have have been, and especially um, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, which I probably talked about in that interview as well. And the first thing that comes up in in that movie is a universal picture. And, um, of course in that movie, the alien is, it can look like it imitates other life forms and, and, uh, kind of imitates them perfectly. And it's amazing to, in that movie, when you see something like a dog or a human being, and it looks exactly like a dog or a human being, but then all of a sudden when it, uh, gets threatened or attacked, it becomes abstract and tentacles burst out. And, uh, this, organized thing becomes this real abstract thing. And, um, that's something I didn't realize when I really started making the work or I kind of realized it, you know, when you crush a cockroach, it's this incredibly organized thing, but it, then it becomes this complete abstraction when you smash it. And, um, and so that's really the underpinnings of my work are still this, I, these ideas that I get from film and especially that, that film in particular. Um, and the other thing about that is, I mean, is McCready in the film says, you know, this thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation, you know, because it imitates things perfectly. And I realized uh, since our, that last interview that w what am I doing is I'm kind of imitating what I'm seeing, what I'm looking at. And, and uh, you can't imitate it perfectly. I mean, but you can, it, it still retains some abstraction, uh, even though it looks uh, uh, close to, to, to the actual, what I was actually drawing. Um, so a, a lot of these things, you know, it's just a lifelong sort of process where things grow and change and you realize things that were right there in front of you. So one of the things that's changed also is the scale of these works. They become very large. And certainly I think that idea of taking something that's very large and representational, you, you come up on it and it's much smaller and, and starts to abstract out. So I'd like to know too, like, What's the process behind working through these, you know, as a drawing, and what's that scale like? And also, where do you get this paper? Because I've had a number of artists that listen to this podcast that want to know, how do you get this massive, uh, 80, is it 80 inches, this paper? A roll that's 80 inches, yes. And um, this is actually really uh, fascinating. Um, I'm also looking for paper that large. And um, I, I inherited a roll from my uh, printmaking professor in grad school, Joel Feldman, uh, for helping him clean out his, his studio 
uh, there at SIU when he, he retired. And um, so I had this big roll of paper and um, he got it in the 70s for some really large drawings. Um, there was some notes on the box that it came in. I tried looking up the company. Um, no luck, basically. Uh, they went out of business or something like that. And I asked Joel uh, about where you get this paper. And I, you know, I don't think he remembered or something like that. Um, but it's good fine drawing, art, art, uh, fine art paper. And, uh, but I can't find it anywhere. So I'm looking for solutions on how I get past that. And uh, um, uh, one of the solutions I tried was um, large uh, photo backdrops, paper backdrops for photography. Um, I purchased some of that paper. I contacted the company. It's acid-free. Uh, and uh, it's a little too thin for my purposes, um, but it that's one option for working really large on paper if you want to work large on paper. Uh, I'm moving straight into prepared linen and uh and using grommets on prepared linen. Um, of course, I don't frame my large drawings like the 80 inch by 80 inch drawings, uh, but, but grommets on prepared linen. And I'm really pleased to say, I just had a, a, uh, my first drawing that I did with that. And it's an amazing surface to work on. And of course, really fine portrait linen, although expensive, uh, comes up in, it, it goes up to 85 inch rolls. So um, that's what I'm doing from here on out. Grommets, 85 inch uh, rolls of uh, portrait linen prepared with, um, various grounds. Uh, th they have golden has a couple of grounds, uh, like a pastel pastel ground and a, um, uh, like an absorbent ground. But what I found works the best thus far. And what I'm going to probably be going with is fine pumice gel from golden and mixing that in with some gesso and, um, and working that way. The surface is better than paper. And then it's, it's obviously more, uh, sound, um, and so that's a little bit about the, 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 the actual process of, of making the, the drawings and where I'm kind of going with that. Uh, as far as scale goes, yeah, I mean, scale is really important. The, the bag drawings, the large bag drawings are to scale to the actual sculptures that I set up in my studio. The cockroaches I make, of course, on a small scale sort of sculpture and, uh, and then blow it up. And so these cockroaches, when you actually look at the drawing, are sort of like something from an uh, you know, Jurassic Park. I mean, they're giant, you know, and, and, and so it changes your perceptions of the, the creatures themselves, even though they started out really small. When you look at the drawing, they're like, Ooh, man, I'm glad those things don't exist in that, in that size. Um, that's interesting. And it makes me wonder too, at that size, do you have to, you know, get up a lot and, you know, really look at these from far away? And then also, you know, do you work from a photograph for, for something that large? Yes, that's a great question. Um, it, it works in a couple of different ways, really. Um, when I'm drawing the bags, I'm drawing mostly from direct observation uh, um, of the sculpture as it's lit. Um, I do have some photo sources for if, you know, when the bags change and, and, and droop or fall off or something. Uh, but I, I, I do, as far as the process of working at that scale, in the initial stages, it is everywhere at once. It is gestural. It is that shoulder is moving in my socket to, to fill that space. Um, and, and, and same with the cockroaches, really just blocking things in in a really big gestural way. Then um, I do what I tell my students not to do, which is just work, you know, kind of part to part. And, and, and it starts working more from this piece to this piece to this piece. But initially it's everywhere at once and very gestural. Um, and, yeah, I am – 
up really close to these things uh, a lot of the time, but then I do get back from them. With the cockroaches, I do have um, more photo sources because it's just, it's, I found it impossible to translate this tiny sculpture uh, to that big only using observation. It just doesn't work. So I'm using photographic sources as well. But at the same time, I'm abstracting and, and it, it's really a process rooted in drawing, not in sort of photo representation uh, in, in the same way, because you look at these marks, you get up these things up close, and not all the marks are in service to the image. I mean, many of them are, but there's a lot of things going on there that, that kind of break down. I mean, it's, um, it's, like, it, it's a little less like Chuck Close early on when he's you know, making things as, as photorealistic as possible, a little more like Chuck Close later when he's using more abstract marks to sort of imply the image. Uh, so that's, that's the actual, actual process in terms of scale. Well, and how much of this was based off of that residency that you did at the Center for Land Use Interpretation in, in Nevada? Is that right? Uh, yeah, on the border between Utah and Nevada in Wendover, Utah. Uh, Center for Land Use Interpretation did a residency a couple years ago and uh, went back last summer to do a show which also then traveled to the Center for Contemporary Arts in Santa Fe. Um, that body of work that I did for that show is fundamentally different and looking at totally really different issues than I'm looking at in the drawing work that I do. But it does have its origins at that residency, and it was, of course, when, with the cockroaches at least, you know, we, uh, we were out there and uh, at this residency, which is kind of on the edge of the salt flats, basically desert, and uh, what did we do? We grilled a ton of meat, and uh, we ate a lot of meat and grilled like every night, and it was awesome, and it was great. And uh, at, at the residency unit, and then, but the thing is, like at night, all of these cockroaches um, would come out of these cracks outside and and go eat all our meat juice that we dropped everywhere. And um, you know, I, as I probably talked about in the last interview, I've I always had a, a deep uh, not hatred, but just disgust with insects and spiders and cockroaches, and you, you don't want them to invade your space. Fortunately, I never found any, there weren't any inside, but that's the scary part when you don't see them and, and feel them there. It's the, the paranoia that you have. But anyway, um, so these cockroaches were there, and they would come out, and they would eat this meat juice. And uh, I remember I was there one night alone, and uh, I think Pat had gone off camping. David was uh, had left already, and uh, I just kind of, after a few libations, I think I just kind of lost it. And I just tried, you know, stepping on all of these cockroaches. Uh, of course there's kind of hundreds of them. Uh, and I started stepping on them and, uh, just kind of a freak out moment, you know, but at the same time, it's one of those mythical aha moments when you notice this, this perfectly organized thing just becomes abstract when you, when you step on it. Uh, and, uh, that idea intrigued me. And it, you, you know, there's not a whole lot of aha moments. Usually there are things that happen over time and you just kind of realize things you'd already been thinking about, but that's, that was the origin of the ideas of doing these cockroaches. So I, I, uh, uh, purchased, uh, 500 of them from a biological supply company, uh, about 13 pounds worth. Um, and I asked that they froze them all before they sent them and they did, but when they, you know, cause I didn't want to have to, deal with live cockroaches, but, uh, and there's no upper limit on the amount you can get from these companies, by the way, thousands, um, as many as you can afford, I guess. But, uh, I got them and I had them sitting in boxes for a while. And then 
13 pounds of dead cockroaches eventually smells like 13 pounds of rotting meat. And I'm not, you know, being exaggerating at all. Um, and they smelled horrible and my huh. studio smelled horrible. And eventually I used these cockroaches in part for source material and little sculptures for the uh, drawings that I've done. And then I took them all and I ground them all up and, in a coffee grinder and made them into a painting um, on a panel and uh, got spray painted white. Um, and it, it was a piece in that the other uh, show I was talking about in Santa Fe and in Wendover. And uh, it actually, when this painting was done, it looked just like a little square of, well, it was actually a five foot by five foot square of the salt flats. Uh, just kind of removed from the salt flats and put in the gallery. It was, and I didn't anticipate that. It was, it was much more sort of um, uh, divergent way of making work and thinking. Well, one of the things that's so interesting to me, too, is the way that you describe these these kind of cockroaches coming out from all these cracks. It almost kind of deals with this idea of the unseen. And, you know, by, t- by, by taking something that's such a small scale or something that we – think about a small scale and blowing it up, it kind of forces the, the viewer, I think, to kind of interact with it in a way that's um, entirely different than a, a small, you know, tight drawing of like a pile of cockroaches. You know, you're, you're kind of filling the field of vision with, you know, this big textural kind of thing. And that's, you know, very yeah. interesting. So, I mean, what, what, are your in, what are your interests in terms of this idea of the unseen as it relates to, you know, some of the subjects that we've been talking about, like the bag drawings or or the cockroaches. Is there a lot of different ways that you see exploring those options and, and ideas? Yeah. It's all about for me, sort of me- the metaphysical and the epistemological sort of notion of, uh, of what you see and what you don't see, what's hidden and what's sort of shown. And that has roots going back in my work. I think that's the one thread that, that really goes through the entirety of my work, uh, and, and what I'm most interested in, it's, and it ties back into the idea of horror movies and uh, what a horror movie shows you and doesn't show you. Of course, it's not scary when you see the monster. That's a release of all the tension that's built up from when you don't see it, but you know it's there. And I think that to quote sort of, sort of quote H.P. Lovecraft, one of the great writers who's uh, influenced a lot of modern monsters and horror movies, um, you know, the oldest and most powerful emotion that humans experience is fear. And the most powerful form of fear is fear of the unknown. And you don't know it when you don't see it. And so uh, that's why I'm interested in that movie, John Carpenter's The Thing, because you don't see, you have no idea who the monster is. You don't see it. It's hidden. Uh, and and then when you finally do see it and it becomes this abstract monster, it's it's a release of that kind of tension. So also with uh, my earlier work and, and using titles to sort of imply that something's there, but not actually showing it there. So like still life with kitten, and it's like a pot on a stove. Um, you don't know the kitten's there, but you know, in, is it there? Is it not there? What is, what is its metaphysical existence? Um, it's also about, jeez, uh, and I wish I could remember the exact experiment, but you know, the, uh, there's the experiment with the, a thought experiment with the, there's a cat, uh, and it's, it's, it's enclosed in this cage and there's a, there's a, uh, dish of, of food that's poisoned in there. And, uh, this has to do with sort of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle and sort of a thought experiment dealing with that. Well, the cat in theory is dead and not dead at the same time because it has a 50% chance of eating the food and dying and not. Uh, and so there's this weird, strange metaphysical, um, 
area where that cat is both alive and not alive at the same time, just like an atom or, you know, can be, or an electron is, is not in any specific place at one time until it's observed. Uh, and so I've always been really interested with that idea. Um, it ties into the trash bags because what's in the trash bags, you know, it could be heads or limbs, or it could also be toilet paper. I don't know. Um, it's a metaphysical question. And, uh, yeah, with, with the cockroaches, it's, it's, it, I think you brought up a lot of good points. It's, you see them, but they're abstracted. And, uh, again, it's like the idea that when those cockroaches were actually scariest to me is when I didn't see them when I was inside. I never saw a cockroach in the residency building, uh, but that's why it was scary. Um, so I hope that touches on some of the things that I'm interested in as far as what is seen versus what is not seen as well um, and how that carries on in my work. Well, and I think one of the other things that becomes very interesting and especially talking with you about your work is the way that you have interests that are much more based outside of the idea, like you were saying, of just representational drawing. You know, you're interested in this idea of these kind of infinite universes or micro universes or, you know, landscapes within them just based on scale or whether or not um, we can really experience them in the way that we think about experiencing, you know, the landscape that is more scaled to, I guess, a, a human scale. You know, it's it's these micro landscapes. Um, yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that, that process of how, you know, your studio work is also supported by you know, the way that you think about these, these, uh, complexities, you know, someone might just look at your drawings as being representational, but I think they're very indicative of the way that you are as a, as a, a almost a philosophical artist, you know? Right. Yeah. I think that, you know, uh, content trying to say something, um, is a real important question. Ideas. Um, that's kind of what separates, art, some art from other art. Um, and I think that, uh, at this, you know, and, and we, there is this dichotomy between form and content and every artist sort of has a negotiation between, between those two things, obviously, uh, whether it's just making something or in trying to build a body of work somehow. And I think that, um, in part, I mean, I'm really interested in these ideas, uh, and physical ideas about metaphysics, epistemology, things like that, film, fear, paranoia, and things like that. But at the same time, it, it's also, I, I, I want an excuse to do what I love to do as a process in, in terms of form, which is to make somewhat representational images and work with charcoal and, 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 and have this sort of medita meditative physical act with materials. And um, I think that's, that's, you know, two different aspects. I'm interested in these ideas. I'm interested in this meditative uh, process. And really, it's just negotiating between those two things. And that's kind of the fun of it. You know, it's not always planned out, but it just sort of happens. And you, again, you realize these things over a period of time that, uh, that you were always thinking about, but then all of a sudden it clicks into place when that form and that content seem to click into place. And um, so that's, that's kind of how, how, how that works. I know in, in grad school a lot, you know, it's like Joel, my printmaking professor just asked me, well, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? And I could never come up with an, uh, an answer. And, and I think it's important to say something though, you know, um, and there's, 
you know, critics and, you know, Dave Hickey might disagree with me. And I think he's got an interesting, interesting viewpoints, you know, don't worry about school. Don't worry about what it means when you make work. It's going to, if it's going to work, it's going to work. And I think there's something to be said for that as far as his uh, arguments go. At the same time, I think it's also important to work the other way too and think about, well, what are you trying to say? Um, are you, uh, and what do you intend versus what is, what do you not intend? And, uh, and what, how much does a viewer get versus how much you intend? And I think, I think those are important things to think about as well. Although, you know, uh, Dave Hickey is, I, I, I respect his, his viewpoint. I'm not adamant against it in, in any way. Um, so I hope that kind of, um, reveals a little bit about, about that. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's so, again, wonderful about the work is just the way that you are able to balance all of those things out. And, you know, we were talking about how one of the biggest challenges as a contemporary artist or, or especially outside of school is to figure out, you know, what you're making and, you know, balancing that out with trying to be academic about it, trying to make it interesting and challenging, but at the same time being really genuine and honest. And I think that's one of the things that remains really interesting about the work is the way that all of these concerns and, and discussions that we might have that almost seem peripheral to the actual work are very poignant and, you know, really relevant to the, the process and the way that you think about these things. And, you know, that just because someone makes representational work doesn't mean that um, they're any less valid than someone that might make, um, you know, purely conceptual work that, that doesn't have a lot of formal interest. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that that really hits the nail on the head. I think that this is, um, you know, looking over all the work I've ever made, this is some of the most, I, to put it in your terms, sort of honest um, and sort of genuine work I've made. I feel like it's a really strong, cohesive body of work, um, and 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 I, I, you know, I've I've written short statements about it, um, but I really like to be able to talk about it. That's why I like to give a public lecture or do something like this because. Uh, it fleshes out some of those ideas. I, I think these ideas about, yes, I'm a representational artist, but I don't feel like I'm pigeonholed in that because it makes sense within the context I'm looking at. Again, I think of myself now as, um, you know, this monster from the thing, you know, like the imitator monster. And I, I try to imitate things and I try to imitate them perfectly. Uh, but I can't. They're always going to be abstract. And, and, and that could be on the macro scale as I'm breaking down these trash bags. Or it could also be on the micro scale as far as marks are concerned. And uh, it takes me back, too, to um, Plato, you know, and Plato uh, theory of forms and thinking about how uh, artists are the lowliest of, you know, tradespeople and, and thinkers. Because what do they do generally, especially in that time, is, is um, they – imitate what they're seeing in some way. But for Plato, that was, that was not good because anything we see in the, in the everyday life is just a shade, a shadow or a shade of that perfect ideal form that exists. So, um, I like to think about that. Well, one thing I haven't asked is what was it like showing it manifest? And then also, you know, what were some of the events that went on and what was that experience like? I'm very appreciative of Manifest. I've, of course, worked with them before. I ended up going to the opening as well uh, earlier, um, and that was just tremendous. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm back now to give a public lecture, um, doing some workshops uh, as well 
at the drawing center that they have and um, also doing a, a, a public drawing demonstration. So I'm going to I'm going to draw in front of people, which I have no problem doing. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun and they're going to auction that drawing off for uh, to benefit uh the, the space and uh, they're just really tremendous. It's you know it's amazing to see how Jason Franz, uh, Tim Parsley, they they started this thing, um, you know, as a nonprofit nine years ago, and it's still going strong. And um, it's just as we were kind of talking about a little bit earlier, um, interesting uh, how those things happen and and how they stay strong and uh, and uh, uh, develop uh, in a in an interesting way, like like manifest has. So that's a little bit about the show. Um, I, I, and I'll tell you what I'll, I'll tell everybody in my lecture tonight, which is it's really, and what I've told Jason before is it's really probably and definitely like the, the, the greatest thing to happen to me artistic in my artistic career thus far. I mean, when I first heard about manifest, I was like, you know, if I can have a solo show there one of these days, I I, then I could just die happy, you know? And I was like, just set that a goal for yourself. And, uh, and so now that I'm actually doing it, um, it's just, just the most amazing thing that's ever happened thus far. So I'm really happy about it. What else can we look forward to in the, in the near future? Do you have any other exhibitions or exciting challenges, uh, in, uh, showing your work in the near future? Go online, see my work to my website, uh, shelbyshadwell.com. And, uh, there will be, numerous things coming up. And, uh, I'm really excited to talk about this. You know, I remember in their last interview, I had that kernel of the idea where I was going to work with roaches somehow. Well, um, I can give you a kernel of the sort of final, uh, body of drawings in this series will be, uh, diapers, diapers, uh, sort of tacked to the wall and drawn from observation on prepared linen. And the reason for that is of course, I'm, I have a 11, 12 week old son now at home, um, shepherd and, and, uh, he goes through a lot of diapers and that's a terrifying thing as well. What you see and what you don't see in those diapers is pretty terrifying. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited about that. It's sort of like this body of work, you know, with the bags and the roaches needed this third sort of component to, I think, complete it. And, uh, so that's what that is going to be. And I think that'll be a sort of a, a round body of work. And it's, it's interesting too. I mean, I found myself drawn to trash bags or cockroaches or diapers, these disposable things that we don't think of in everyday life. But of course, I think that's, you know, goes with this long, long discussion in art history. Um, just part of the dialogue that naturally sort of comes up in art history where artists are taking the, the everyday, the lowly and elevating it to this sort of, status of high art. I mean, Rauschenberg and the, the mattress and painting on the mattress. And, and I think it's just one of these things that is, you know, a natural sort of thing that artists look at it, is this difference between high and low. Um, and, and, and that's where I think these three sort of subjects uh, uh, blend in. As far as shows, I, I can't wait uh, to see. I've got some proposals out there and um, I'm really anxious to see where, where they where they go. Um, like to have another solo show in a year or two for sure. And, um, and, and just keep moving. I just really want to get back in the studio. So, but I think it's really interesting too, because then you're, you're talking about, um, something that's much more personal in, in a way that a lot of your work has been kind of removed from that, but at the same time, it's still distant. So 
it's very exciting to think about, um, you know, the possibilities of how these uh, diaper drawings are going to be resolved. So I uh, can't wait to have you back on to talk about them the next time you have a big uh, show up. Isn't it just funny to say, I can't wait to see how diaper drawings are resolved? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, And again, congratulations on uh, being a father, and uh, you know, I'm sure that that's going to present its own challenges and, and perhaps, again, continue to influence your studio practice. So it's very exciting. Yeah. Thank you very much, uh, David. This has been great. All right. Thanks again to Shelby for joining us. And please go to his website, shelbyshadwell.com, and see all the good stuff that he's got going on there. And as always, please go ahead and check out my website, which you can find the link of right on that homepage, right on the left on the sidebar, davidlinaway.com. Go ahead and check it out. Super easy to click and see what it is that this host of yours that you listen to does. Of course, if you like today's episode and you'd like to check out more, go to studiobreak.com and go through all of our archives. Again, that function is right on the left. You can go month by month, and we've got over 50 podcasts that are full length and a number of ones, 15 of the short ones. So go ahead and check all of those out. We've got a lot of great artists. All of them have slideshows up, as well as links to their websites and the interviews as well. Of course, you can find all these interviews on iTunes, so you can subscribe to the Studio Break podcast there. Again, we'd really appreciate it if you left some feedback. It really just helps gain some visibility, and somehow it has something to do with the way that iTunes ranks things. So the more comments that we get, the more our rankings go up. As always, our music today was found at freemusicarchive.org. They've got thousands of songs, thousands of albums, all sorts of free stuff. So go ahead and check that out. You can go by genre or any number of ways. The opening track was Trace Coronas, The Horror, and taking us out is The Hermit's Force. So go ahead and check that stuff out on freemusicarchive.org. Of course, this podcast is a lot more fun when you reach out and say hello. So please be sure and visit our Studio Break page on Facebook. Like us there. Leave us some comments about some of the posts that we have up. Of course, you'll find that we preview a variety of the guests that are coming up, as well as announce some of the past exhibitions and interviews. So be sure and like us there. You can also reach us on our Twitter page, at Studio Break, so please be sure and like us there. And again, drop us some comments, say hello. If any of you are going to go ahead and watch The Thing, which I highly recommend, leave us some comments, some feedback, some questions, whatever. Just go ahead and follow us at Studio Break on Twitter. Of course, if it's tax season and you're getting a nice refund check and you feel extra generous, you can always use that donate function. Again, we've got a lot of different things going on aside from just the podcast. We would like to hopefully start doing a lot of shows, and we've got applications out and all sorts of good stuff. Of course, one way to easily help out is to share this podcast with friends and anybody in the arts that you think would enjoy it, including your FedEx man. Please be sure to stop them dead in their tracks as they're trying to get their work done. Please tell them all about Studio Break and let them know. And again, of course, if you share this on Twitter or your Facebook page, we'd really appreciate it. Just a reminder earlier, if you want to hear more about Shelby Shadwell, check out episode 16 that we did over a year ago. You can easily find that on studiobreak.com. And you should also all run out and go to Illinois State University Galleries, see the House of the Seven Gables, listen to Kendra's discussion with me about it. It's a really fantastic exhibition, 26 different works by 22 artists, all sorts of different places. Great, great stuff. Go ahead and check that out. 
And before I forget, opening Friday, March 1st, I'm in an exhibition, an invitational exhibition at St. Louis University. Opens up at 4.30 to 6.30 at the McNamee Gallery. So go ahead and check it out at St. Louis University. Again, that show runs from March 1st to April 6th and features five of my works and about Five other artists in total. Should be a great exhibition. If you go check out their work or check out the post on our Studio Break page, you can find out more information. So please go ahead and do that. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you real soon, everyone.